Hey everyone, it's George from Blockchain DXP and today is the 28th of June, just a few days to go for the first half of 2022. Question for you guys is, do you guys think cryptocurrency market would have been better if the whole Russia-Ukraine situation or conflict did not happen? Personally, I don't think so. And Jerome Powell, last week he also said that the inflation has pretty much nothing to do with the Russia-Ukraine situation. And he said that the inflation did actually start in early part of 2021 or the signs of inflation did show as early in 2021. So the geopolitical situations definitely do have an impact in our day-to-day life. The big news for today is Russia has defaulted on its payment and this is for the very first time in a century. So will this have an impact in the cryptocurrency world and how the sanctions actually affect other countries and not necessarily Russia. So in today's episode, we will be discussing that in detail. This whole inflation that we're facing right now should have not happened because we have Bitcoin. Because ideally, Bitcoin should have protected us from all of this thing, at least in theory. Bitcoin is apolitical in theory, but in reality, that does not seem to be the case. Earlier today, Gary Gensler, the chair of Security Exchange Commission, did actually say that Bitcoin is a commodity. So you might be seeing quite a lot of headlines that the SEC and Gary Gensler confirms that Bitcoin is a commodity. This is partly true and we'll be exploring that in today's episode, what the interview was all about. And uh, there are also Twitter feeds that say that he does not comment about Ethereum and quite a lot of other things which we'll be talking about in today's episode. In today's episode, we will also look at some technical information regarding Glassnode at a very basic level and we look at that at a very macro or bird's eye view level because I'm not a technical expert and I'm in no way qualified to give you information so far as the technical graphs and charts are concerned and this information is not technical advice or financial advice as well. But what I will do is I will share information about Glassnode's details in today's episode. We will also look at data from CoinShares. CoinShares releases a weekly blog via Medium every week. They really have some really cool information via their blog. So we will go through that. They've also released an interesting blog about Ethereum, about the whole merge of Ethereum and how it is going to impact Ethereum, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as well. So please follow CoinShares via Medium page. Regarding UAE, I have two news. The first news is about the regulators in Dubai have said that Three Arrows Capital is not registered in Dubai. And last week we talked about how Three Arrows Capital is on the verge of going belly up. And were they registered in Dubai? That is the big question. So we'll be talking about that in today's episode. The second news might just be one of the worst cases of utilizing blockchain technology. And to be honest, I'm 100% skeptical about this project. The project is called as Islamic Coin. And strangely, it is published in one of the leading papers here in UAE, that is Zavia. So the news is, Islamic Coin gains fatwa from leading global Muslim scholar. I'm really 100% skeptical about this project. So in today's episode, we will dissect why this project is not the best use case and if it is a legitimate product or not. So welcome everyone, it's A-Team, you're in Dubai. You're listening to Crypto & Coffee at 8, where we cover top news and information pertaining to Bitcoin, blockchain, 
beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, and lately Metaverse as well. How this series of episodes in the Crypto and Coffee at 8 works is, we usually cover some top news and information pertaining to the browse of cryptocurrencies, some major breaking news, occasionally short and sweet news as well. News that has an impact in the crypto world. The other two news and information is related to Dubai, UAE and Middle East in the world of Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi and Metaverse. This is followed by Ask Me Anything series where you listeners can ask any questions from 8.30am to 9am Gulf Standard Time from the cryptocurrency world. Every Fridays at 8am Gulf Standard Time, we have an episode called Metaverse Everything where we focus solely on Metaverse. So please check out those episodes as well. The format for Metaverse Everything podcast is completely different and I also publish a weekly report that you can check out via my LinkedIn profile. And please follow me on LinkedIn as well guys. The profile is in the show notes below. And you can also read my article via Medium. Go to Medium and just type in Blockchain DXB. So, let's kickstart today's episode. Today is the 28th of June and I'm looking at the price via coin market cap. The global crypto market is less than $1 trillion again and it is at $932 billion. Since the last 24 hours, it is down by 1.25%. The total crypto market volume over the last 24 hours is $54.82 billion. Once again, this is ridiculously low considering the fact that it is Monday. I was definitely hoping that the total crypto market was in the $100 billion range. Since the last 24 hours, it is marginally increased to 6.30%. The total volume in DeFi is currently $5.76 billion and DeFi accounts for 10.50% of the total crypto market 24-hour volume. Regarding DeFi, guys, in 2021, when I used to do preparation for my podcast, believe it or not, 8 out of 10 news were regarding DeFi. In 2022, I am absolutely not seeing any news regarding DeFi. So, you know, I'm really not sure what's going on with DeFi. In the past, I've mentioned that at the start of the year, the total value locked in DeFi was over $264 billion. And let me just quickly have a check what is the total volume locked in DeFi. As of 28th of June, the total value locked in DeFi is down to $74.46 billion. So imagine at the start of the year, the total value locked in DeFi was $264 billion. It is down to $74.47 billion. Is this the end of DeFi? I really am not sure. And this has nothing to do with Terra Luna. Terra Luna situation did break the DeFi volume down. But if you look at it going down since January of this year, DeFi has been growing down at a very high pace. Another thing which is going down is the volume of stable coins. I'm really not sure what's going on. The volume of stable coins today is at $49.16 billion. This is Monday where the trading volume is supposed to be high, but the volume of stable coins is down to $49.16 billion and stable coin accounts for 89.69% of the total crypto market, 24-hour volume. The king of all kings, Bitcoin, the price is currently at $20,788. And since the last 24 hours, it is down by 1.19%. And a period of 7 days, it is marginally up by 0.69%. Ethereum, aka the first world computer, the price is 
$188. And last week, I was talking about if the price of Ethereum would go below the $1,000 mark. And remember guys, on the 29th of this month, that is in just a matter of few days, Ethereum is going to undergo an update. It is very highly possible that when the update takes place, the price of Ethereum could either go up or it could go down. But once again, my price predictions are 100% right, 50% of the time. Now since the last 24 hours, Ethereum is down by 1.45% and over a period of 7 days, it is up by 5.37%. Binance coin is down to $233 and since the last 24 hours, it is down by 0.313%. Since the last 24 hours, it is down by 0.13% and since the last 7 days, it is up by 8.15%. So the cryptocurrency market is still in a turmoil. So the big news for today, not just in the cryptocurrency world, but in the entire world is about Russia. So the news broke out that Russia has defaulted on its payment for the very first time ever in 100 years. So this is, could have an impact in the cryptocurrency world as well. I was thinking when I initially read that news, but not necessarily. If you actually go through the details, you would actually find out that that's not the case because Russia has gone ahead and made a payment. So what happened is that the news is that Russia is defaulting for its payment for the very first time. And CNN article claims that the West has pushed Russia into its first foreign debt since 1918. Now strangely but not surprisingly, Russia's currency has soared to a 7-year high against the US dollar. So what has happened is if you look at the value of Russian ruble. Ironically, it is the best performing currency in 2022. Bloomberg has also written an article about this. The news is that Russia has defaulted on its payment. Now, this is not true. And I'll tell you the reason why. Dmitry Baskov, who's the Kremlin spokesperson, he says that the claims to allegations of default are incorrect and Russia has made necessary payment and it made a payment as back in May. So the problem arises like this. Russia did actually make the payment, but because of the sanctions, Euroclear, which is an organization that actually takes care of the settlement, could not clear the settlement. And this is where the whole sanction kicks in. So Euroclear could not settle any securities with the counterparties. And this is because of sanctions. So it looks like whole sanctions that US and other countries put on Russia has backfired on them. There is a brilliant article by CBS that goes and explains that and they also explain why Russia's ruble is the strongest currency in the world. So my big question is, let's say if Russia had Bitcoin, the entire world operated on Bitcoin, such a situation would not exist because Bitcoin is completely uncensorable. It cannot be censored. It is permissionless. You do not need prior permission to use Bitcoin. It is borderless. Anyone can go and send Bitcoin from any bar in the world. It is open source. All the transactions in Bitcoin are completely open source and it is neutral, which means a person living in Russia can utilize Bitcoin as much as someone, let's say, living under the Biden administration or Biden regime in the US can use Bitcoin. And all the transactions are publicly verifiable. So maybe if the world switches on to moving into Bitcoin, things would definitely be in a much better place. 
And this is the whole moment of Bitcoin. Bitcoin started as a movement towards separation of money and the state. This would happen, but looks like it might take maybe a couple of decades for this to happen. Even Gary Gensler, who's a massive advocate of Bitcoin, has said that Bitcoin is a commodity. You know, Gary Gensler is the chair of the Security Exchange Commission. What happened was that he was in an interview with CNBC with Jim Cramer. I would really recommend you guys to go and watch the entire interview. It's only seven minutes long. But the topic of the interview was about potential crypto regulations and regulations needed for stable coins. In that interview, he mentioned that he, along with previous people who were working in the Security Exchange Commission, did think of Bitcoin as a commodity. So that was essentially what the topic was all about. So it is definitely great news that we have clarity that Bitcoin is a commodity. In that interview, they talked about some real crucial information, particularly with reference to Tether USDT. So I would recommend you guys to go ahead and watch the entire interview. It's only seven minutes long. Personally, I do think that regulations for stable coins are 100% needed because at the end of the day, stable coins, they do tend to operate as a bank. Some DeFi protocols such as Celsius and even BlockFi, they offer interest and they do take a role of a bank. And some of these DeFi protocols are extremely notorious, like look at Terra Luna, for instance. So in that case, I am with Gary Gensler. Regulations are needed, but regulations are definitely needed as long as they don't stifle innovation. Again, people in the cryptocurrency world have a negative view regarding Gary Gensler and SEC. I completely disagree. Gary Gensler is a professor, was a professor rather at MIT. And he talked about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. He knows the ins and out of blockchain technology very thorough. And he talks about the technical elements and aspects of it. So he's definitely in favor of Bitcoin. Secondly, if you go to the Security Exchange Commission YouTube video, they have a lot of educational and informational content trying to help investors such as people like you and me. Thirdly, Regulations are definitely needed because a lot of the DeFi protocols are absolutely notorious. So I'm definitely in favor of SEC and Security Exchange Commission's take so far as uh, regulations are needed to protect investors. Moving on to next news. And this is, I'm just going to give a very bird's eye view because it is technical information. And to be honest, I'm not a technical expert. So every Monday's Glassnode and CoinShares they provide a technical analysis of what has happened in the previous week. So Glassnode's macro indicator state that Bitcoin is at an all-time low. Some really technical information in this particular insight. Usually they do not provide so much of charts, but this week they've provided quite a lot of chart. And they also talk about 7-day moving average, that is the accumulation trend, score and impact of Terra Luna's collapse. So I would recommend you guys to go ahead and read through it. It's extremely technical. Does this mean in the next months or so, we might be still in a bearish market? I personally think so. CoinShares weekly blog states that we saw a record of 434 outflows last week, while Bitcoin saw inflows of $15 million. Now, important to note that all of the outflows or most of the outflows was from a Canadian exchange and most likely it was only from one Canadian exchange. Does this mean that it is going belly up? I'm really not sure. What does this mean in the next coming weeks? 
I personally think in the next couple of weeks or so, the market is going to remain bearish and darker times are still ahead. And there is also news and speculations about Tether USDT, uh, which I'll try to cover in tomorrow's episode. While I was preparing notes for this particular episode, the news just popped up that a couple of hedge funds are trying to short against Tether USDT. And time and again, guys, I've been saying that the Black Zone event for the cryptocurrency world would be Tether USDT. And it's pretty simple. Tether USDT has $60 billion as circulating supply. So in theory and in real life, in practice, they should have $60 billion as a reserve. That is not the case. In the past audit, they have shown less than $4 billion as a reserve. Rest everything else is in a piece of paper. And the terrible thing is the audit that they showed was only one page document that was a pie diagram. So maybe the hedge funds have found out something and they are trying to short Tether USDT. Do you guys think Tether USDT could be the next Terra Luna situation? If that thing happens, trust me guys, that would be the biggest black zone event and terrible for the cryptocurrency space and for the Bitcoin community as well. The next news is about Bitcoin Magazine. Now Bitcoin Magazine, every year they have a Bitcoin event and last year, they had it in Bitcoin Miami. This year, for the very first time, they are launching a European Bitcoin conference. This is in pursuits of hyper-Bitcoinization. And this is going to be held in Amsterdam. Now, hopefully, this event is not a cringe fest like in 2020. And the 2020 event was absolutely horrendous. It looked like a BitConnect event. Absolutely horrendous. But hopefully, this year, they are going to be having the event in October, I think it's from October 12th to 24th in Amsterdam. So in case if you guys want to go ahead and attend that event, the registration link is on my LinkedIn profile. Now moving on to news about UAE. The first news is the Dubai regulators have said that Three Arrows Capital isn't registered in Dubai. I had covered a very specific news on Three Arrows Capital on the 2nd of May 2022. So go to my website. And look at crypto blocks may 2022 i did actually say three arrows cap plans to move the headquarters to dubai and the co-founder suzu and kyle davis they had put out a statement so the statement by suzu which i had covered on the 2nd of may is that the energy in dubai's digital asset industry is electric right now we have decided to move our three arrows capital headquarters to dubai and i'm looking forward to meeting more technology startups Whereas Kyle Davis, who is the co-founder, said, I'm very impressed with the vision of WARA, that is Dubai's Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority. And I expect many leading firms to continue to move to Dubai and contribute to growing a digital asset ecosystem. Coindesk did publish an article earlier today with one of the spokespersons from Dubai Financial Services Authority, that is a regulating authority, they told Coindesk via email that we can confirm that Three Arrows Capital is not a DFSA authorized firm and is not regulated by DFSA. In Singapore, Three Arrows Capital is regulated by MAS, that is Monetary Authority of Singapore, in Dubai. So the news is that Three Arrows Capital hasn't registered an entity outside of the DIFC either, that is Dubai International Financial Services Centre either. So Coindesk, what they did, they tried to check uh, on the government blog where you can actually go and check if a company is registered as well. So a search of Dubai's National Economic Register 
shows no company matching the description of Three Arrows Capital registered in the Emirates. They did find a company registered with Three Arrows, but that is an air conditioning company. Now, could it be possible that they have registered instead of Three Arrows Capital as something completely different? Even my company are registered as Ocean Blue Consultancy and the trading name is Ocean Blue Consultancy but my website is Blockchain DXP. I'm not sure if that is something which Three Arrows Capital could have done. But again, definitely not good look and most likely Three Arrows Capital because of the Terra Luna's collapse will be going belly up. Hopefully, a lot of people are not affected by it. The next news is about Islamic coin and guys I'm really skeptical about this but I need to be very cautious in what I'm saying. So the news is published in Zavia.com. So the news is that Islamic coin gains fatwa from leading global Muslim scholar. Now firstly, I have a session every month called as Festal Art Analysis. So the R part is for religious factors on Bitcoin. So Festal Art Analysis stands for P for political. E for economical, S for social, T for technological, L for legal, E for environmental, and R for religious. And under the religious factors is where I tend to do analysis on Bitcoin. So I think I do know quite a lot about when I'm talking about so far as religious analysis on Bitcoin is concerned. So this particular news call is Islamic coin. It does not seem to be right about Islamic coin gains fatwa from leading global Muslim scholar. But Let's try to explore, let's try to dissect what this news is about. So Islamic coin, if you go to the website, it's islamiccoin.net. And the currency has something called as the Huck system, H-A-W-Q. So the whole idea of creating this coin is that it serves the Muslim community, promotes Islamic values. So Islamic coin is a native currency of Huck, a community-run network dedicated to empowering an ethics-first Sharia-compliant financial ecosystem. Islamic coin has a finite total supply and 10% of each issuance is automatically dedicated for philanthropic purposes. The mission is to empower the world's Muslim community with a financial instrument for the digital age that enables seamless transactions and interactions while supporting innovations and philanthropy. This is the information that I got from the website and this goes everything against open blockchain. Firstly, it says that it serves the Muslim community. What if there is a non-Muslim who wants to use Islamic coin? The answer is they will not be able to use it. That is a complete no so far as open blockchain communities concerned. Again, the whole idea of serving a particular community is brilliant and the cause is great. But to utilize blockchain technology for it just does not seem right. If you go through the YouTube they have turned off the comments as well. Again, a centralized person making the decision that the YouTube comments has to be stopped. Now, I did try to do some research and this is all the information that I got from the website. Is that it is linked to IC Network. So IC Network Limited is a privately financed technology enterprise founded by a group of seasoned blockchain and fintech entrepreneurs interested in creation of highly ethical financial services an exploration of the potential of distributed technologies in the ethical finance domain. So IC Network Limited is the developer of Huck Blockchain, the first Sharia-compliant decentralized ledger specifically designed to follow the rules and traditions 
of Islamic finance. This is again an extremely centralized and unclear what the actual use case of Islamic coin is. So they have Huck blockchain which is essentially called as proof of truth and they have Islamic coin. So the Huck blockchain that is proof of truth like they call it is a proof of stake blockchain network compatible with existing ecosystems of blockchain tools and developer instruments and I think they're using Ethereum and Cosmos. They're meeting modern industry requirements with fast finality and high transactions throughput. This seems like a statement, a marketing gimmick, so that they may get a lot of investors to invest into them at the seed stage. Based on the website, it states that Huck's purpose is to serve the international Muslim community by providing a financial and technological tool that allows for independent financial interactions while supporting technological evolution and philanthropy. So the basic question is, does it mean non-Muslims cannot use it? Second question is, if only Sharia-compliant transactions will be approved, who does the approval part of it, which means the miners who update the transactions will be declining the transaction. So I'm really not sure where the project is going ahead with it. So they also have Islamic coin and they have something called as Evergreen DAO. So I'll just try to explain what the whole Islamic coin and Evergreen DAO is. This again, it really baffles me because it does have a very high degree of centralization. The website says that Islamic coin is a purposeful community crypto asset. It's used as a native coin on the Huck blockchain. And each time a new Islamic coin is minted, 10% of the issued amount is deposited into a special Evergreen DAO. And Evergreen DAO will be used for further investments into projects beneficiary for Muslim community or given to Islamic charities. The whole idea of doing something beneficial to Muslim community and Islamic charities is absolutely great and brilliant and I 100% support that. But is blockchain technology the right technology for that? The answer is a big no. It just basically means that non-Muslims cannot go out and use it and more importantly who does the decision making. The key decisions in the Evergreen DAO are made by a council that consists of Huck network validators whose contribution to the network stability and security is the greatest. So what happens if, let's say, these council members decide to stop producing blocks or they decide to start selling the data? So definitely not ideal. So the community does not make the decision. There are a selected bunch of individuals or the council members that go ahead and make the decision. So definitely big no for Islamic coin. And uh, they've also mentioned they have a thing called Huck Association. One of the most important functions of Huck Association is to supervise further development of Huck blockchain and make sure that the development goes in accordance with the principles of Islamic finance. This as much as I like it, but using blockchain technology is a big no. So such supervision is conducted by world-renowned Sharia scholars and Islamic finance professors who are members of the Haq Sharia board. So essentially, it is more of a consortium. Again, I 100% support the whole movement of supporting Muslim community and supporting a particular sector, but using blockchain technology is definitely not the right use case. In fact, this is a perfect use case of extreme centralization. Remember, Bitcoin was created so that such centralization does not exist. Another thing which I try to look at the website there are two founding members, that is Andre Kuznetsov and Alex Malko. 
I cannot find absolutely any information regarding the co-founders. They have other board of members as well. Now, their board of members, you can find information regard from the LinkedIn profile. I have contacted some of them and I'm waiting for the reply if they are actually members from that team and I'll try to update it in the next upcoming episodes. So that's all for today guys from the Crypto and Coffee team from Blockchain DXP. In case you guys have any feedback or suggestions, please drop me an email to info at blockchaindxb.com. You can also check out my website that is www.blockchaindxb.com. You can also check out my other website that is Area2071 that talks everything about Metaverse. And if you like listening to this, please follow this podcast, give it a 5-star rating and share the word across. Now for the next 30 minutes, it's going to be an Ask Me Anything series where you listeners can ask any questions about Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi and Metaverse. So let's kickstart this series. Hey everyone, it's Josh from Blockchain DX. We are listening to the Ask Me Anything series where your listeners can ask any questions about Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, and Metaverse. And remember, Monday to Thursdays, 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., we have Crypto and Coffee at 8, where we cover some top news and information pertaining to the price of Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, and Metaverse. This is followed by two news and information related to Dubai, UAE and Middle East from the crypto world. And what you're listening to right now is the Ask Me Anything series where you listeners can ask any questions regarding Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi and Metaverse. I have a question by Ramesh who asks, what should we look at when analyzing a crypto project? Now this is a brilliant question Ramesh. Firstly, to start off with, I would recommend only to understand what Bitcoin is. Once you understand what Bitcoin is, you would know what Bitcoin is not. There's a lot of incorrect information. So to answer your question, how do you analyze a crypto project? Try to get as much information on Bitcoin. At the end of the day, Bitcoin is the king of all kings. If you want to have some kind of guidelines, Andreas Antanopoulos, he has guidelines called as the pillars of open blockchain. And open blockchain is different to permission blockchain. Anything that says permission blockchain or centralized blockchain, Ramesh, I would recommend to completely ignore it. So what are the pillars of open blockchain? That is, is it open source? Is it permissionless? Is it borderless? Is it censorship resistant? Is it neutral? And is it publicly verifiable? Now, Ramesh, every month what I do is I have a session on Bitcoin. Uh, in fact, there are three sessions on Bitcoin, which you can find on eventbrite.com where I explore that in detail. I explore what the pillars of open blockchain are. So I explain what open source is, what permissionless is, what borderless is, what censorship resistant is, what do we mean by neutral and publicly verifiable. So you can attend that session as well. So it'll give you an idea of what to look at when you analyze a project. The next thing you also need to look at the team members, as in today's case, in case of Islamic finance. I did not find the information about the team members. I did find information about the founding members and they put up the link. Just putting up the link does not mean that they are the actual members. Now, in the website, they did put up uh, the names of other founding members and it also has the LinkedIn profile. I have contacted some of them and I'm waiting for a reply and it could be possible 
that there are actual founding members. They mentioned some real heavy-duty members on there. So I'm hoping for some positive reply and I'll be updating that. The next thing is from which if you want to find out if a, if a project is legitimate, you need to look at the code. Now, if you're not tech-savvy, you could probably hire someone and they can look at that code for you. All the codes need to be written at GitHub. You would be surprised. A lot of the blockchain projects are even not aware of GitHub. In 2016, one of my clients, he wanted to start a blockchain protocol. He had one of the most technically qualified software developers who had written down everything written down white paper. You wouldn't believe Ramesh, he did not even know what GitHub is. It still baffles me. But all of the codes of open blockchain protocol needs to be completely open source and it needs to be available in GitHub. You do not require any permission to access the GitHub. So in order to get the GitHub code through the website, there should either be a link or you can directly go to GitHub and you should be able to find out the particular details of that project. And that is one good way of analyzing the project. You can also do smart contract auditing. Let's say if you are a firm, Ramesh, and you want to find out the legitimacy and if you want to go and invest funds in that, and if they have smart contract, I would personally do a smart contract audit as well. I have a couple of referrals of firms, you know, who do smart contract audits. So I'd be more than happy to help you if you want to do that. You may want to listen to some of the interviews by the team, and this is so critical. If they have any Ask Me Anything sessions, you'd be surprised a lot of them they do not even have any interviews. So, so critical. Look at the founding team. If they have any interviews in podcasts or if they have any YouTube channels, Islamic Coin, they have a YouTube channel, but you cannot comment on it. So that is again a big no for me. You need to also look at the most important thing. That is the white paper. Just an example, Ramesh, in 2019, I did read through a white paper for one of my clients. Believe it or not, it was 64 pages long. Out of that 64 pages, 58 pages talked about the history of Bitcoin, talked about blockchain and crypto, which anyone could get it via Google, so the entire thing was pointless. The actual white paper technically was only 3 to 4 pages. Of this 3 to 4 pages, they only talked about why they are starting the project. And if you were to ask me in the scale of 1 to 10, I would literally give the white paper a 0. Ivan on tech on YouTube, uh, he has a brilliant uh, session where he talks about what is it that you need to look at when you're assessing a white paper. So, you know, if you drop me an email, I'll also send you the list of things that you need to look at when you're assessing a white paper. Or just YouTube Ivan on Tech, what are the things to look at in a white paper? That'll give you a fairly good idea when analyzing a project. Again, the Bitcoin white paper is only 12 pages long. Technically, it's only nine pages long. The first three pages is where Satoshi Nakamoto is just thanking other people. So these are the things, you know, that you need to look at when analyzing a project and a lot of scammy projects are still there and more importantly you know again keep revisiting the pillars of open blockchain that will give you a fairly good idea of uh, when analyzing a project and you know remains something which i tell each and every one the more you understand what bitcoin is you would understand what bitcoin is not and you'll try to keep questioning things even things like ethereum Ethereum sounds great, but what is the use case of it? I really am not sure. And I've been involved in Ethereum at quite the early stages. When I say I'm involved, I literally mean I bought Ethereum when it was $8 and when it was $12. Other than that, my involvement in Ethereum has been next to null or zero. So that's all for today, guys, from the Ask Me Anything series on Blockchain DXP. In case if you guys have any feedback or suggestions, 
please drop me an email to info at blockchaindxp.com. You can also check out my website at www.blockchaindxp.com. Also guys, if you like listening to this podcast, please give it a 5-star rating, click on the follow button and share the word across. You can also check out my other website that is area2071.com that talks everything about Metaverse. And remember, Monday to Thursdays, 8am to 8.30am, we have crypto and coffee at 8, and we cover top news and information pertaining to Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, and Metaverse. And how the series of episodes under crypto and coffee at 8 works is, we usually cover top news and information pertaining to the price of cryptocurrencies, some major breaking news, occasionally short and sweet news as well. The other two news and information is related to Dubai, UAE and Middle East in the world of Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi and Metaverse. What you're listening to right now is the Ask Me Anything series where you listeners have an option to ask any questions regarding Bitcoin, blockchain, beyond blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi and Metaverse. Thanks so much for listening guys and have a great day. Bye-bye.